often read of prices, salaries, bonuses, corporate acquisitions, and court-ordered awards that seem hard to fathom. From amounts paid in AIG bonuses to the contract of Alex Rodriguez to the award a jury made to a woman who spilled hot McDonald's coffee on herself, we ordinary folks frequently ask, how did they get to numbers like that? Economists have, in general, provided smug answers to why a Picasso, say, fetches a stratospheric price, but psychologists have done experiments that cast doubt on what's really going on in the world of the marketer. Author William Poundstone's made a career out of looking into things that have been deliberately obscured. He has more than 10 books to his credit. We spoke to him about two of his prior efforts, both Gaming the Vote, Why Elections Aren't Fair and What We Can Do About It, as well as his excellent Big Secrets series of books, which probe such matters as the secret formula for Coke. We can't think of a better person to probe the strange world of pricing than William Poundstone. And lucky for us, he has a new book that does exactly that. Its title is Priceless, The Myth of Fair Value and How to Take Advantage of It. We're keen to talk about it and pleased to say welcome back to Radio Parallax, William Poundstone. Yeah, it's good to be with you again. You have a first quote I noticed in your book that said, the more money you ask for, the more you get. And if we're going to have a, a one-sentence summary of your book, that might serve it pretty well. Yeah, that, that pretty much says it. That actually comes from a, a study of jury awards, and they found that, uh, that the more the, the, um, the plaintiff's attorney uh, asked for, the more they get. So there's really not much reason to try and be logical about this. You should just ask for the sky, and, uh, and you'll generally get more because of it. Well, let's talk about that. That's it's a fascinating example. You, you, you mentioned it in the book how this woman, she was injured by hot coffee at McDonald's. It's a pretty famous case. I mean, as mm-hmm. a physician, I can relate to the fact that, I, you know, I think the coffee probably was too hot, and I have a certain sympathy for her. But you explain how when her attorney was talking to the jury, he asked for what, what he estimated one to two days' worth of McDonald's worldwide coffee sales, which is a mm-hmm. totally unrelated number in every respect, and yet obviously it influenced the jury. Yeah, the thing is, jury people uh, particularly really have no idea how to put a price tag on someone's pain and suffering or a big corporation's culpability. So they're very susceptible to the power of suggestion. Uh, So this woman, Stella Liebeck, had a very smart attorney who knew that he had to get the number in first. And the number he asked for, two days of of McDonald's coffee sales, came to $2.9 million, and that's exactly what the jury uh, gave him. I want to cite right away, your book answers a question that's been on my mind. I've been puzzling for years why theatergoers thought The Producers was such a great show. I loved the movie. I thought the show stank. But you, <laughs> you reveal that the, the gutsy pricing move they made uh, on Broadway seems to have instilled in patrons a high value to the production. Yeah, exactly. When you're in town for a Broadway show or a Las Vegas show, uh, you probably don't really know how much you should be paying. You certainly don't know how good uh, the particular seats are. So you really have to infer value from the price. So they know that, and that's a reason to charge very high prices. And with the producers, they charge these premium tickets for $480. Uh, now, most people never paid that, but they still were aware that, uh, that this show was supposedly worth $480, and that made them willing to pay more than they would have for seats that maybe weren't so good. Well, the word that comes up over and over in your book, which I had not been familiar with, was anchoring. And you show that the, the effect of getting a, a, an anchor value out there affects everything. It's an incredibly strong effect. 
Yeah, uh, the anchor is the first number you hear in a negotiation or other kinds of price setting. Uh, and when you really have to estimate what something is worth, uh, again, you're very susceptible to the first number you hear. So if there was one piece of advice that I could give people hearing this, it would be that in any sort of negotiation, you want to make sure to get the first number in, and you want to make sure it's a number that's, uh, that's favorable to your side of, of things. Uh, so if you're negotiating for a salary, again, you want to ask for something that's you know, higher than you expect to get, and you want to make sure to, to uh, get that number first. Now, of course, most people probably do the exact opposite. For one thing, if you're a job seeker, you don't really know how much you're worth in today's job market, so you figure, well, I'll just let them make the offer first, and then I'll say, you know, that's not quite enough, I'd like a little bit more. But if you do that, you're actually making a pretty costly mistake. We probably have someone out there thinking about getting a new job, but what would you tell them to do instead? Well, uh, nowadays it's very easy to go on the web, you know, with salary.com or something, and get a pretty good estimate of what the range of prices are. And they'll even give you a percentile figure, like, you know, with people with your qualification, 90% make less than this amount. That 90% figure is a good thing to ask for. You probably won't get that much, but you'll get more that way than just letting the company make the offer. Well, your book may be the only one I've ever read that, uh, that delves into psychology and, and uh, economics and bridges a gap between them. I want to talk about some of the psychological aspects. Uh, uh, researchers have pretty much shown that we're all very good at estimating relative values and not necessarily very good at, at estimating absolute values. Yeah, uh, they've done studies where people ask them to estimate the cost of you know, a bottle of really good wine and a bottle of not-so-good wine. And even if you're not a wine expert, you, you have this idea that, you know, the really good wine should be so many times as much as the, the not-so-good wine. But people are totally clueless about what the actual price should be. So, again, they're very easy to manipulate in that way since you only know the relative comparisons, not the absolutes. Another example is, is the incredible power of discounts. Uh, everyone loves to get a rebate or a discount because you can, you can do a comparison there. You can say, I bought this flat-screen TV for $800, and I got a, you know, a, a coupon with it that was $100 off, so it's really a $900 TV. And you feel you've really made some deal there. But, of course, the marketers now know uh, about that psychology, so they have all these bog uh, bogus discounts and, and rebates and, and so forth, just because that's, that motivates people. Right. Well, I guess a lot of it's rooted in the fact that we humans, we may not be aware of it, we certainly calculate losses differently than how we do gains. Yeah, losses always sting much more than gains do. Uh, it, it feels, you know, uh, you, would, you feel worse losing $100 than you do gaining $100. And that was established by, by two very famous uh, psychologists, Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky. They won the 2002 Nobel Prize, and a lot of their work is really the basis for the sorts of marketing tricks that I write about in the book. And you certainly, you certainly go through quite a few of those, which I hope we'll get to uh, in a minute. But um, I want to talk a little more about the psychology, because it's, it's quite fascinating to me that people say they will prefer a, a sure thing when they're making a bet on something. But when they... When they uh, when it comes right down to it, a large value sways them. For example, a lottery. People overestimate the value of their lottery ticket because they see the, they see the, the potential payoff. Yeah, uh, you, you basically just think about that you know, $50 million prize you're going to get. You don't really uh, factor in what the actual odds are, which, of course, are always incredibly small. And whenever a lottery board uh, wants to sell more tickets, 
they always raise the size of the jackpot. They never raise the odds because no one <laughs> pays attention to that. The book is Priceless, The Myth of Fair Value and How to Take Advantage of It. We're speaking with author William Poundstone. Um, a great body of data you have in the book that is that, uh, that we humans have this sense of, of what's, what's fair and a compulsion even to punish those who, who have dealt with this unfairly. And that's something that uh, you reveal economists may not have fully appreciated. Yeah, uh, fairness really is a very important factor in a lot of economic decisions, and economists always regarded that as something very vague and fuzzy and really didn't pay attention to it. Uh, but they'd run these marvelous experiments uh, called the ultimatum game, which is basically a very simple bargaining game. Uh, they give one person $10, and you're allowed to share that $10 with a partner who's usually a complete stranger. Like, you can say, we're going to split this 50-50, or I'm going to get $6, you'll get $4. And as long as the other person agrees with that, they split it exactly the way you said. But if the other person gets mad and decides to veto, then neither of you gets anything. Uh, and what they've found in that situation is that most people really do go for a 50-50 split, which is completely different from what economists would have said. Because they would have said, you know, you should take $9 for yourself, give the other guy just a, a dollar pittance, and he's still better off, so he ought to veto, the, or so he ought to go along with the deal. But in fact, if you do that, they're going to veto. And that's a very big factor affecting really all the sort of prices you see at the supermarket, uh, the sort of prices you negotiate in business. It's, so it's really something that's been kind of swept under the rug for many years, and now we're realizing how important it is. Well, I just love the example after example you gave in the book of how what mathematicians or economists like Milton Friedman, et cetera, how that they thought things worked, uh, how that was wrong. And, and one example I just want to want to cite for listeners, which is so so interesting, is that um, uh, there was a description some researcher did provided for for um, test subjects of a hypothetical about a woman who was very feminist sounding, and then the test subjects were asked, "Is she more likely to be a bank teller?" or a bank teller active in the feminist movement. And contrary to what a mathematician would say, most people chose B. Uh-huh. Yeah, because the, the, the description was based so that it fits the stereotype of a feminist. So people figure they've got to use that information, uh, and she's got to be a feminist and a bank teller. <laughs> it's totally illogical, but that's really the way that, uh, that people think. And these were very intelligent uh, college students. They even tried it uh, on, on some of their colleagues and found they got the same result. So it, it, it is something that uh, really uh, gives you pause to consider, I think. Well, you talked a bit in the book uh, about uh, how we, uh, we basically try and explain to ourselves why we do what we do, and it's called confabulating. We all tend to believe our own fiction. Uh, and what's, what's shocking to me is, and I suppose to the researchers when they did this, discovered that um, we grab clues from whatever happened to be around us. This is, this is uh, more than we, we ever knew. And... Um, uh, the example you gave in the book was a test where people had to take a number that was on a questionnaire. It was just on a slip of paper. And mm -hmm. if the, the more their attention was drawn to that number, which had nothing to do with what they were about to estimate, the more it influenced them. Yeah, they were actually supposed to guess the number of physicians in the, I believe it was Richmond, Virginia phone book. Uh, something they really didn't know but could, could just vaguely guess. And they were very influenced by these totally irrelevant code numbers on the questionnaire. Uh, it just goes to show that when you've got a number in your head in short-term memory, it really does have an effect on what you're doing. And that's part of the reason why in negotiation it's so important to get in that number first, because even though people swear they're not going to be influenced by it, 
really they are if you if you do the experiment and look at how people are affected. Well, your book is subtitled "The Myth of Fair Value: How to Take Advantage of It." Um, and and I thought you mentioned one one example before about how to deal in a job uh, uh, a job interview. But let, let's cite a few more examples of how we might not fall victim to this. Uh, I thought the one I want to throw out first of all, you mentioned a billionaire who lost half his money and was so despondent he committed suicide. Yeah, this actually happened. Uh, again, it just shows that everything in life is relative. Uh, he still had billions of dollars in the bank, but he felt destitute because he lost so much money. I'm sure there's a lesson in that for all of us if we realize uh-huh. what we do have in the world. Uh, and also, I was intrigued by a, sort of a similar story. Um, I guess the Dutch invented this, this game, uh, Deal or No Deal, and there was a case mm-hmm. on there where a fellow made a very stupid decision because it wasn't going well for him, and it, that, that promotes us to take risky behavior, and that, that's a very basic psychological matter. Yeah, when people feel that they've been cheated, that they've had a bad run of luck, they become uh, great risk-takers. Uh, and they actually looked at, at videotapes of, uh, of about 100 episodes of Deal or No Deal and looked at the decisions people made, and it actually fit this psychological model and not the one that the economist w- would have guessed. So it's further proof that even when big money is at stake, uh, we really are influenced by this psychology and not so much by logic. So I guess the punchline is if you're losing at Vegas, take stock of yourself and cut your losses. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty good advice. Can we also talk about the $7,000 handbag? Yeah, um, a lot of luxury stores, of course, everyone knows they have very high markups, and you really don't know what you should be paying there. So again, you're very sensitive to contrast. A store like Prada will have a $7,000 handbag very prominently displayed. And you'll look at it, you'll shake your head and say, who would be crazy enough to spend $7,000 on a handbag? But next to it, they'll display, say, a $2,000 handbag and maybe a $1,200 handbag. And suddenly, they look kind of reasonably priced. And they found that people will actually be more inclined to buy that $2,000 handbag just because they first saw the $7,000 one. And the thing is, they don't even care if they sell the $7,000 handbag. I mean, it's just there uh, sort of as window dressing in a way because it causes people to to spend more money than they would have. Priceless uh, confirms for me something I'd suspected all along. I'm I'm dismayed to learn from you that, uh, indeed, some of the brightest minds in the business world are indeed out there setting out to confuse us so we can't compare prices on our cell phone plans, etc., yeah, there, there's a whole new profession called price <laughs> consultants, uh, and that's what they do. They, they show ways to, to confuse people so you can't compare prices. I, I get a whole phone book worth of a phone bill when it comes in, and that, now I know that it's deliberate. <laughs> uh-huh. Things how to defend ourselves. You, you mentioned that in marketing it's ubiquitous to go in somewhere and they say, well, our prices are much lower than, than the next guy's, and we don't know what the prices are of the next guy's. You know, how do you defend against that? That, that seems to be very insidious. Yeah, well, it certainly, I mean, it, it does help to, to compare prices before you make that decision. Uh, you should try to avoid making sudden decisions because you're going to be influenced by that anchoring, by the last price you just sur- uh, heard or saw. Uh, so that's certainly helpful. Also, when, when you're going to buy something, it helps to uh, do something they call consider the opposite, which is just to think of some reasons why the price you're thinking of paying might be unreasonable. And that's one of the few things they've found, actually, that does counteract some of these psychological tricks. So that, that's something to be aware of. Well, final couple of questions slash comments. So you had a chapter on drinking and deal-making. It seems like a no-brainer, but people maybe should be reminded that, uh, that the three-martini lunch may not be advisable if you're doing a, doing a deal with somebody. 
Yeah, this was this was really a fantastic experiment they did. Uh, they found that it really did change their money decisions, uh, and that obviously it really does cost you a lot if you're you're bargaining uh, under the influence. The ah, what the hell syndrome. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. Well, I guess final comment I have, you did address this issue, a product I'd seen marketed called Liquid Trust. Some bright spark has gotten this hormone oxytocin. They're trying to put it into aerosol cans so that people will sniff it and then you know, trust you in a business deal. You point out, thankfully for all of us, that doesn't seem to work too well. Yeah. Uh, in laboratory tests, this, this hormone does actually have an effect. It makes people more trusting, more gullible, as it were, and they tend to um, accept uh, poorer deals. But the little spray bottles, uh, I've talked to people, and they've said that's really not going to work. It's not really a volatile compound, and uh, it's, you, you, you definitely are going to need something other than that if you want to get a really great deal. Thank God for that. <laughs> Do you have any other final uh, comments for us before we uh, bring it to a close? I guess that's about it. I, I, I just want to say that uh, my whole experience of going to a supermarket or a department store is completely different now because you get so you can spot all these little psychological tricks they're using. And uh, I, I, hopefully I'm a better shopper, but at any rate, it is a little more fun just uh, seeing all these things. And just a final comment, who would have imagined that if you, if you shop clockwise or counterclockwise, you spend more than clockwise, but that's the way stores are set up. Yeah, it's about $2 more, so now stores are doing everything they can to funnel people into the right entrance so that you'll go counterclockwise. <laughs> well, the book, once again, is Priceless, The Myth of Fair Value and How to Take Advantage of It. We're speaking with author William Poundstone, and it's been, it's been a great pleasure to speak with you again, sir. Yes, it's been fun. in life are free but you can give them to the birds and bees I want money